It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcasts. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. I uh, hope everybody listened to the emergency broadcast uh, with me, your host, uh, Sam Snelling, and, and Brandon Kiley from, I guess that was Friday. Uh, but we're back to a regularly scheduled programming here with, uh, with Matthew J. Harris on the hook to talk uh, with us on Dive Cuts, episode 25. Uh, we've got a special guest coming later. But first, Matt, how are you? Way too much coach bracket. Too much coach bracket. <laughs> poor idea. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. There's a there's a lot of uh, brackets and and words and uh, and votes that are happening. Watkins and I we're, we're very stupid for, for doing this. Um, we hope people are enjoying it. We hope you're voting. We hope you're learning stuff. But um, we were very dumb. Two things can be true. You can enjoy it, and we were very <laughs> dumb uh, for venturing down this road. Um, but um. I'm I'm really happy with people interacting. We're getting the kinds of votes that and vote totals that I wanted to see. Um, we're getting the kind of feedback that we wanted. Um, and hope, like I said, hope people are learning stuff and they're and they're coming away feeling like they got a better sense um, for who's out there and you know developing preferences and just feeling better about the situation. And um, as we sort of move through, it's still early days in the search too. So who knows? Maybe the, all the coaches we profiled are, are just maybe they're all useless and we've just wasted our time. So it has been like a content uh, deluge happening at, at Rockham Nation um, since the news broke. Um, basically, Friday, it was announced that Pounds Martin was out. Um, 
and like we've been posting nonstop ever since. Like I almost feel bad for the other sports at this point <laughs> because like we're posting just so much stuff. Um, I actually kind of told all the writers, I'm like, we have to be stewards of our own content here. So uh, to make sure that you're not getting overlooked, you know, retweet it and all that kind of stuff, like, like work hard to, to talk about it and, and get people going to what you wrote. Uh, Cause it, it will likely fall down the front page pretty quick. Um, on top of all that news, uh, you know, like clearly the coaching search is, is the thing that people are talking the most about. Um, it's probably best that we just sort of hop in with Blake uh, and, and get him um, going. We're, we're going to talk to, uh, I guess, a, a podcasting favorite of ours, uh, me and Matt. We love talking to Blake Lovell. Uh, he is uh, one of the writers and editors at uh, the the blue book um indispensable every season yeah absolutely must read if you're a college basketball fan uh and he's covering all the sec basketball stuff at the southeastern14.com where they are doing all kinds of multimedia stuff like videos podcasts it's it's a really good setup uh we love having blake so if 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 you want like we'll just get get right into it like to welcome into the podcast a frequent uh, Dive Cuts guest, one of our, our favorite basketball writers throughout the uh, the SEC media sphere. Uh, he's the Blake Lovell, uh, one of the lead writers for the southeastern14.com, is uh, covering the SEC for um, know, at least as long as I've been around doing it myself. Uh, so Blake, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Doing great, guys. Uh, great to join you as always. I'm glad we decided to do it on a very, you know, relaxing week of SEC basketball. And yeah, not not much happening out there. So we can either talk about, you know, scholarships or um, hopefully no no deals involved with those scholarships. But um, what a <laughs> what a week it's been. That's that's all I know to say. Last five days, it felt like a two months in this league. So. Well, so let's, uh, since this is a Missouri podcast, um, I figure we should at least kind of start there. Um, Missouri's coaching job opened up last week uh, with Missouri kind of moving on from Council Martin. A lot of people were sort of concerned about some of the contract language. That appears to not be a problem whatsoever. (laughs) There was no mention of anything about, you know, contract details being worked out. It's basically like, ah, we thank Conzo for his, his time and his effort. Uh, you know, good luck in the future. And Conzo's like, all right, see ya. I'm off to watch my kid play uh, with Purdue. Um, what was your sort of take on how that all kind of went down? Were you surprised? Uh, and, and like, what are some of the things you thought sort of held Conzo back in his time at Missouri? Well, I, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we've, we've talked over the years and I think that there just comes a certain point where once you move beyond just the, the frustration of where the program was, um, you know, before he took over and then he takes over and I, I don't remember, I, I think I, I don't remember who I told this to, but it's like what I said, you almost wish if you're Conzo, it would have played out in reverse where this year is like year one and you kind of go the other way because the expectations were set so high as soon as he took the job and, you know, you get Michael Porter and, and Jonte comes in and 
I just think that immediately set, you know, the tone for his reign as Missouri's coach is you knew that was not going to last in terms of having those guys there four years or anything. But I just think that was one where, you know, like I said, you would almost wish you could play it out in reverse because otherwise you have a little bit more, I don't want to say the expectations weren't high when he took over, but certainly still, you know, it's like when you start that way, I think that, you know, expectations just evolve from there and, and fans just want it to get better and better. And I, so not surprised that the, the move was made by any means. Um, like you said, how it played out. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I never know in this league anymore, clearly uh, when we have coaches being traded in the transfer portal. So uh, it's just, I have no idea what to make of just, you know, again, the, the whole scenario and, and maybe how it played out, but not surprised. What are some of the things, you know, that, he could have done differently. I mean, you know, it's always a hard question to answer, I think, because, I mean, we also know some of the things that have gone on in this league during this tenure as well. And so um, I think it's just something where we've talked about this, and I know, Sam, I kind of opened the can of worms on Twitter today when I, I put the tweet out, but it's, <laughs> as I said, I for me, ever you know i've got to realize you can't go into these complex um discussions on twitter and just leave a tweet with stats because there's always more to it and, and i did put out you know i was talking about hey we had four guys that the, the four guys that have been fired well i guess mike white not technically but of course you know frank martin's been to a final four green's been to final four a long time ago howland gonna be um let go eventually here uh he's been to a final four and then of course mike white's been to elite eight and that's not to add in all the guys who are still in the league that have that have been to a Final Four or Elite Eight or whatever. So, you know, that's just one of the things is that's what you're competing against. And so, like, what could Conto have done differently? I mean, I mean, I guess like recruit better is probably you know the answer. I guess you could say. But even then, I mean, he had some. He brought in good talent, and I think we all know that like last year was really the year that it felt like that was the year. Like you know, for them to really make that jump and to see if they could use that what 13 and three start last year or something like that. Like, can that be the launching point? And then really since then, you know, there was, there's no momentum capitalized off of that. They finished the season, you know, the way they did last year. And then you come into the season with really very low expectations, but I just think that they got better, but they were just never able to reach that point that a lot of other programs that have made that jump, you know, like an Auburn, like, um, you know, some of the others that they just were never able to hit that. So I was just going to say, Blake, I mean, as you sort of look around this, this conference here and you were at the SEC tournament last week, it, it felt like for the last several weeks that this was an inevitability almost. I mean, the way they played coming down the stretch was not inspiring and, you know, almost on the ground, you know, everything that we saw coming out of Tampa was like, it almost seemed like Zoe had sort of resigned himself to what was coming, but there's been some other moves in this conference where, you know, I, I don't think any of us would have said on Saturday that we thought, you know, LSU was going to drop news or that what we were going to see on selection Sunday between two sec rivals happened there. I mean, just sort of when you look around the landscape of this conference, just have you been surprised at some, at some of the moves that have transpired here and, or which ones have sort of surprised you at this point or have none surprised you? at this point what well, i mean the only one that was surprising and, and it wasn't because i, I it's funny because we had talked about this and really my answer on this has changed by the weeks over the past month is 
There was one point where someone was asked me to said, well, it was the over under four and a half. I said, Ooh, I said, take probably take the over on that. And then, yeah. And it's just, but then like I changed my mind because you start hearing things and it's like, well, I don't know if they're going to make a move, but my thought process is anyone, anytime someone tells you that they're still not sure if they're going to make a move, that means they're going to make a yeah. move. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. So, you know, the Florida one, I, I said all year, I mean, if they didn't make the NCAA tournament, I didn't think Mike White was going to be back as their head coach. And so that to me was the only stunning part in terms of how it played out. Of course, none of us could have predicted that he would go from, from Florida to Georgia green, no brainer. Um, you know, like I said, the Missouri one, I think you just, you kind of saw coming uh, the South Carolina one. I was kind of torn on that one. I told you guys, I mean, I've said that I've said this for probably two or three years now. Um, I said, look, if South Carolina and, and, and Frank Martin eventually break up, I think it may be, Frank Martin's choice, maybe more so than South Carolina's, but I thought that last year was the year to do that. Whereas it just seemed like he came back this year for just basically, Hey, let's just, let's do this one more time, quick fix. And we'll move on after that. Um, so I don't, that one was, I don't, I wouldn't even say that's surprising. It, it was just, I didn't know if they were going to do it. I was kind of torn on that one. The LSU one again, what do you say? I mean, anyone who did not think that was a possibility, I don't know what you're watching because that's been a possibility for years now. And it was just a matter of till, you know, they decided that, Hey, well, we get these allegations and Oh boy, there's no maneuvering around this. Um, so let's beg and plead for the NCAA and say, Hey, we're going to do this before the tournament because we are being proactive. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to work. Um, and I mean, Mississippi state, I guess is the other one guys. Like it's, I know it's not official yet, but if you read that, it's not, it's not, yeah, it sounds like it's, it's going to happen. It's just, you know, they're going to, they're going to let Ben probably do it on his own terms and, and, you know, have this NIT run and whatever happens there. And then they'll make the move. I think that one, like, let's be honest of all the jobs open to me. Yeah. That's the worst one. one. So I just think if, if you're going to make that move, I, I think they'll go the, maybe I'm surprised by this, but I, I think, I don't know. How they got Ben Howell in the first place, I've always, everyone always wondered just kind of how that whole thing played out. And, um, but I think at this point, I'm not, I think you have to probably go the mid major route, whether that's a, you know, I don't know who that is, but I think there's some options out there. But surprised by that one either, maybe a little more surprised than the others, just because, I mean, it's not like they bottomed out, right? But they haven't been able to, to really reach that point they wanted to reach. So uh, you mentioned the portal situation. There, you know, I, I look at the teams here that are making changes. South Carolina relied heavily on a portal situation. Missouri relies heavily on the portal. Florida goes heavily into the portal here. Mississippi State go. Mississippi State returned probably a, a few more known pieces, but still went in to find multiple starters in the portal. Um, LSU went into the portal. A lot of these. An LSU situation is probably more, it's probably less to do with roster construction than anything else. But I, I think my larger point is a lot of people have talked about the impact of the portal and what it can do to overhaul teams and what it can do to change things. If there's any sort of thing, if there's anything instructive coming out of this spring, it's you bet wrong on the portal, it's it you're going to get into a tailspin pretty quickly here. And ADs in this league, you know, it's. You know, you look at consistently, it's usually four to five openings every year. And if you're that's if you're not on the hot seat, you know, realistically coming in. If things spiral here, ADs in this conference are not going to hesitate to pull the trigger on you. And I think that's sort of the lasting impact here is 
a lot of coaches looked at the portal and said, I can, I can sort of expedite the timeline and, and that can cut both ways. It turns out it, it, <laughs> it, it, I think it really sort of turbocharged a, a lot of administrations here because once you, like, if you look at Missouri, Missouri's going to be 130 and Kim Palm at best 140. Even if Missouri's 50 spots better next year, you're still way behind the eight ball there. So it's, it was sort of interesting to me to see that the coaches that bet a lot on the portal wound up uh, in the unemployment line here, or wind up living buyout life. Yeah. Other than uh, other than you know the must bus who <laughs> seems to bet hard in the portal every year and and comes out on the other side looking all right. Some guys are good at it and some guys aren't, but I, I think that's a, a credit. You know, Mus's antics can grade a little bit, but that guy knows how to. You know, I think that's where his pro experience really does come through. He's used to just being handed a roster and figuring it out, and he did that this year. Well, I also, I would also add that, I mean, <clears throat> the two best players in that team are guys who've been in the program for yeah. three years. Uh, you know, so uh, like that, it, that is something that I don't think you can overlook. You know, the best player in Auburn is, uh, you know, a lottery pick freshman. Um, you know, best player on Kentucky was a transfer portal guy. Um, you know, if you want to say, I guess what I'm saying is that good coaches uh, clearly, yeah, Oscar Shibwe uh, is, uh, is 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 if it's a good coach. I, I'm saying like good coaches have been able to figure this out. Like we would say, John Calipari can has shown that he can figure out roster situations almost every year with one and done guys. You know, Bruce Pearl's been able to figure it out. You know, with transfer guys in the past too that came in to the program. I think it it just reinforces, you know what good coaches are to a certain extent. You know, not to say that Consul Martin was a terrible coach, but I think it if it was supposed to be a salvation for him, it, you know, it clearly wasn't there. If anything, I think it sort of revealed kind of Zoe's, I think, weaker points as an evaluator and as a roster builder. So I think it it can cut both ways is probably the best way to say it. And and it really cut hard for this group. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I, I think it's with these coaching changes now, it's so interesting. Cause like, I think Vanderbilt fans have had this conversation a lot and I, I bring them up because they're one that, you know, did bottom out in terms of where the program went to, but it's like, there comes a certain point where I think Jerry Sackhouse is like, he's developing players and he's developing a good roster. But, you know, again, it's like in this league and I don't think it's going to be the case of Vanderbilt. I don't, I'm not saying Jerry Stackhouse is in trouble or anything, but, you know, at a certain point, it's like the development of players, whereas we used to say that, now it's teams can flip so quickly in terms of just the transfer portal. If you are a must, you can just go out and get whoever you want at times and just flip your roster every single season and still win 25-plus games. Uh, you know, if you're going the developmental route, that can – I mean, you know, it's just – it's hard because it is a – as we all know, I mean, it's a win-now thing and – you can win now just by going out if you're someone who can navigate the transfer portal and build an entire starting lineup or three or four of your your five guys in there and have success with it. I mean, you can you can get ahead very quickly. So, yeah. So, I mean, I will say I do think it's a little interesting that, like, I've I've always been a big believer in that there's a million different ways to win. Um, like you pretty much just have to sort of pick the way that you want to and go about, you know, setting your, your method. And, and one of the things that I think sort of tripped, you know, Martin up is that he got away from, I think was what was sort of built into his DNA, um, you know, as a basketball player, as a basketball coach, 
you know, coming up, he was really known as being a guy who wanted his teams to, to defend and rebound and, uh, you know, and they sort of, you know, ran that Katie motion offense. And that was, that was who Zoe was, uh, you know, and, and at some point, like along the way, and I, I, I kind of think this probably happened when he was taking the Missouri job, uh, you know, like the, he had to make some compromises in order to sort of make the Porters happy. Well, you know, like Michael Porter Jr. is going to want to run these pro sets and we're going to have to run an offense that sort of focuses on him. And Conzo had never really, never really done that, sometimes to his own detriment. Like, you know, I think clearly some of the criticisms that we had when the hire was made was that uh, he was, uh, you know, a, a mediocre offensive coach uh, and and typically would put out pretty ugly offenses. Um you know, but in making those compromises, he he got further and further away of sort of uh, of who he was as a coach and what he believed. And I think like that's one of the things that sort of you know tripped him up as he was as he was evaluating and building this last roster. Uh, you know, and and Matt and and Blake, both of you guys can kind of hop in here and disagree with me if you want. But I you know I think he was trying to put together a roster that was able to sort of play at a pace that he had kind of been talking about more recently and play a style that they had been moving toward towards recently. And in doing that, he sort of built a, like a team around a group of guys who just don't defend well. Um, you know, and I, I think ultimately that was the undoing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've gone on record where I think, and, and I've put this out there. I think the, the linchpin here is they just totally misevaluated the point guard position and, and realistically really the, to you know the point guard the combo guard position for them because people are going to look at you know what drew smith gave them offensively last year but he was an elite on ball defender for them and so it wasn't just they lost a guy who could run good offense who could play well off two feet who was tough around the rim who you know found his three-point shooting stroke you know his second year in the program they lost a guy who Zoe could just turn to and say drew go guard that guy they lost that kind of guy you know i think they lost you know, they went and got Dejuan Gordon, who's a tough kid who competes really hard, but can't handle, but more importantly, not always a great off-ball defender. Like, you could used to be able to put Mark Smith on a guard, you know, who's going to be running around off screens and all kinds of actions, and Mark could lock and trail. I think they just misevaluated those positions so heavily that they got caught in a bind. And everyone looked at the offense. The offense was bad for stretches, but the defense was consistently bad all year. It would hover between 100 and 100 and 108 points per 100 possessions allowed all year. It never improved, and that's something that's weird from a Conzo roster. So yeah, I, I would agree. I just think they completely misevaluated the two most important positions on the floor for them, which were combo guard and, and point guard, and it created all kinds of complications from there on out. It just they, they completely botched that and it trickled down throughout the rest of the roster. No, I mean, it makes sense. Like you guys said, I mean, I, I think that you, you said it best. Um, I, I could not have put it any better. All right. uh, well, yeah. so, so let's move on a little bit. Um, I do, cause I do want to take a look at what we sort of view as maybe the hierarchy of the open positions. Um, and, and maybe not just the open positions, but sort of, you know, where these programs also sort of fall in the pecking order. Because I think everybody sort of would agree. I don't think there's anyone who's going to disagree that Kentucky is like 
is the cream of the crop of the conference. Um, you know, they may not win the conference every year, but they're typically always going to be at the top. Uh, you know, they're regularly getting uh, protected seeds, and you know, and, and just the history of like national championships. Like Kentucky is is the only real blue blood in this program or in this this conference. You know. After that, uh, you know, I tend to think Arkansas and Tennessee are kind of in the next year. Um, But I feel like there's like a really big soft middle where it's all about which program is is maybe more willing to commit. And I think right now you're seeing that commitment from Auburn. You're seeing that commitment from Alabama. And I don't think we've seen that level of commitment since Billy Donovan left at Florida. And so I think Florida's kind of fallen down the list. but I mean, is that still the best job that's that's open in the SEC right now? I I think so, but I think Florida Missouri is closer than non probably Florida Missouri fans would would give them credit for. Or you know, in terms of Missouri, I think in that regard. I mean, I you, I don't have to repeat this. You guys have talked about it before, and I've always talked about sort of, and you said it best. I think Sam, it was just sort of what a job is, what a job. Uh, can be and i think that's when you made the uh the purr um so i don't remember what you said you said that on twitter that, that was <laughs> well, yeah I, I think it was something along the lines of you know it's basically missouri is is like a nice car that's just sort of been neglected in the garage for a lot of years like it's not there that it, it still can't be a nice car again it's just that it like it needs some attention yeah that's that's the good way to put it and i think florida is one i would still put you know certainly in the top in that top four, top five, I, yeah. I think that when you compare them to the others that are behind them, I think that there's still enough appeal to feel pretty good about where that job is. And by the way, I also think Florida is more appealing now because you're not the guy that had to follow Billy Donovan yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're, Mike White did that for you. And so I think that that helps a little bit for whoever the next coach is. But, you know, in terms of, I think it's right. I think it's fourth in that in that list. And and honestly, I think you can make the case for Missouri to be fifth. I think I'd say A and M. Um, you know, seemingly maybe doesn't. I just think you know recruiting and all that with A and M. I think that's one that it can be a a really good job. Um, the two that I have the most trouble with, guys. I know they're not open, but I think these these are the two I have the toughest time with, just because of where they could be in the hierarchy when you compare them to these other jobs that are available. And I think they're further up now, but the reason to me why Alabama and Auburn are probably the two toughest to place is because, you know, you kind of know the history and the the tradition there and everything, you know, football and everybody's going to talk about that. And what I said, and, and I don't know if this makes sense and you guys may disagree with me and that, and that's fine, but I think the Alabama and Auburn jobs have become better because certainly because of Bruce Pearl, and I think because of what NATO's did last year, I know it's only one year, but to me, the reason they become better jobs in the pecking order is because they forced those schools to put more resources into basketball to make the commitment more than I think, you know, you would have if you had just kind of stayed in the middle somewhere. So I think even if you just win one, even if you win one SEC championship, I mean, these are the two, what, the last two regular season champions in the SEC. I think those jobs automatically become better, even if those two guys were to leave, right? I think those jobs are better now because of what they have accomplished. Again, even with those, I know they didn't do so well this year, but I think that's one thing where I would probably bump them up a bit as compared to, right? I mean, like, 
I'll just say it. South Carolina, Mississippi State are, are near the bottom for me. Um, Georgia, too. I think Mississippi – yeah, I mean, Georgia, too. I, I don't think Georgia's a great job. So, I just – yeah. So, so I think that's kind of how I look at it. And, you know, LSU, to me, is like 15 at this point because I don't even know how you put LSU in there because uh, who knows what that job's going to look like. But I mean, to me, it's, it's obviously Kentucky. Then I think it's Tennessee, Arkansas, you know, um, Arkansas national titles. Granted, a lot of the, a lot of their history comes in Southwestern Conference days, but that's still a, a really, really good program. They still spend. They still put people in. Bud Walton, you know, if you go, good luck pulling a kid out of Arkansas. If you know, if Arkansas's on them, you know, they yeah. took Nick Smith and kept him home. They're gonna keep guys home. You know, aside from like a Malik Monk or if it's Kentucky coming in. You know, I mean, even like Mike Anderson, who I think a lot of people would say is, uh, you know, was a mediocre recruiter in his time there, like kept Bobby Portis home. Yeah. It's, so you have a natural kind of home court advantage in your recruiting territory. Tennessee's a fantastic job. I think, you know, a lot of people don't look at their postseason history. They're, they're up there. Florida had a great runner, Billy Donovan. Lon Kruger was there. You know, obviously, the Florida's a massive state. You know, you can still work the JUCO system there if you want to recruit, but you've got or five major metros you can pull from. Uh, to me, that's up there. Though LSU, you know, having covered that program and having been there and looked at their facilities, they have everything in place. They've got insane donor money there. If they want to stay within the lines, they can still be a really good program. But I do agree on the Auburn and Alabama statement there. You know, Alabama has always spent. They've just never been able to find the right guy to maximize that money they put in. And, and Auburn's been really, really smart. You know, they, they built an arena that fits what that program needs to be. It's a shoe, bo- it's a band box. It's, but it's got suites that put money in it. You know, they've put fans around the court. They got a guy who's going to inject atmosphere and energy into that program. And they've spent, you know, as Bruce has, you know, shown that he can get it going. They've put in commensurate investment to it. So I look at Missouri right now, and to Sam's point, you know, we catch a lot of flack for saying this. Missouri's probably, to me, ninth or tenth best job in the conference right now, just in terms of what you have to do for resources, you know, that come in there. You know, you look at its two best recruiting grounds. It has to fight with Illinois, which is <laughs> juicy. It's got to fight with Kansas. Yeah. You know, if Kansas State is healthy, it's coming in. If Creighton wants to come down out of Omaha and get into Kansas City, They've shown they can do that. You know, it's Missouri does not own its recruiting ground. It does not spend at a level that's comparable to the rest of the league. And it hasn't really been successful in a decade. If you are Missouri, you know, you have to, I think, be really honest and say we're ninth, 10th or 11th in this conference right now. And that to me, that's what holds this administration, this university back is dealing with that reality. It doesn't mean it's stuck that way in perpetuity, but I think really being honest and having that clarity and saying, holy crap, we've been passed. Like Ole Miss is passing us now. That that should be kind of alarming to them. You know, and Jerry Stackhouse has gotten, you know, things back to a, a pretty competent place, you know, where next year they could probably vault their way into a bubble discussion. You know, Missouri, I think, has to be really honest with itself about where the program is right now. And that's the only way it's going gonna, it's gonna to move up if it, you know, says we need to really do some hard work here and we really need to put some resources in to get ourselves back in the discussion. So th- that's just where I see kind of the pecking order shaking out. 
So then where, you know, what, what sort of, you know, jobs are uh, these, the jobs that are open, like, you know, who are the coaches that each of them should be sort of looking at? Like, we, I think we all think that the, the move of Mike White to Georgia is a weird one. Um, oh, that's polite. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and, and realistically, like, you know, I know that this is not a podcast that has ever been favorable towards Mike White. I, I think he's, uh, you know, but he's at worst, he's adequate. Um, he's not, I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's just a fine coach. And like, that's the thing about like a lot of high major coaches is, you know, like Mike, we were kind of, you know, laughed about it, but Mike White probably did his best coaching job this year because his talent, talent level on the roster was just bad. Um, you know, I, I I basically said that they were Missouri just with Colin Castleton, and like that, that's I feel like there's some truth to that. Like they had way too many guys who are never going to sniff the NBA draft, and that's unusual for Florida. Um, so I mean, the fact that he was achieving basically the same results with guys like Trey Mann on his roster, I think, is more of an indictment yeah. of the job that he did. Well, two years prior, but that to being said. Be. But that, that being said, I mean, he does have the opportunity to sort of reset expectations and go to a different place with like lower overall program expectations, and maybe that'll work out. So, what does Florida do? Like, you know, Blake, if, if you were the Florida athletic director, wh- who is the guy? And I, I kind of say this is because I feel like Florida has always kind of been, despite this, uh, you know, image of being Florida and being, you know, the Gators and we can go get anybody we want. They usually end up hiring just like a good mid-major coach. So so who do you think ends up uh, fitting that job maybe the best? It's a great question. And um, everyone knows that I I push for Dennis Gates for every job at this point. Um, <laughs> there's, there's no secret here with me, uh, but I, I don't think that's going to It does fly. make a lot of sense. It makes total sense. It, it does. And I think it's, it's does, would Florida accept that? Because, you know, you've got a Leonard Hamilton assistant and Florida State and conspiracy theorists all over the world. Um, well, after Florida State beat Florida, I, so they so Florida finally beat Florida State this year, right? And that was the first time in like yep. seven years or something like that? Yeah. So... So, so he better be Leonard, Leonard Hamilton, <laughs> um, his, his ex-coach there. I, you know, that's one that's interesting to me because I, I do wonder with Dennis Gates, I don't think he's going to have a choice, but I, I do wonder, you know, is he just waiting around for Leonard Hamilton to retire and he goes to Florida State? Because I think that'd be the best hire they could make there. Um, you know, but like you said, it makes sense from a geographical standpoint because he's, I mean, I keep saying this, but like Dennis Gates, you guys know, I do my stuff for Blue Ribbon and I've done the Horizon League for, for several years and, I just, I, I've not talked to a guy and I talked to a lot of coaches and, and this is including some, you know, power conference coaches like this guy, you just know when you talk to him, like he's, he's got it. He's got everything you want. He's 40, what, two years old, I yeah. think. Um, like he, he to me is the next big thing. And, and I have no hesitation in saying that. Like, I think he is going to be one of the most successful coaches in the country a decade from now. Um so I think, you know, would they make that move? Again, I think it makes sense. You guys say, I mean, it makes sense to, to do that. I just don't know if hiring a former Florida State assistant, someone who was there as long as he was, if that's something that they would think about. Um, you know, elsewhere, look, my first call, I know this is going to sound crazy, but my first call is always going to be to Scott Drew. I don't think he's going to be the next coach at Florida, but something I, I would at least think about, and I think we have to maybe think about this moving forward, is some of these guys who are in the Big 12, 
like the Big 12 is going to be changing soon. And I know they brought in who, guys? Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, UCF. That's great, but that's not giving you the eyeballs that Texas and Oklahoma were giving you. So yeah. I do think, and like I said, I, I'm I'm not saying he's going to be the next coach, but I, I do think like if I'm an SEC school and I start looking around at some of these guys that have had success, and Mike Boynt will be a name that's brought up in South Carolina yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but I do think that's interesting to think about. If I'm one of these schools like Florida, all a person can do is tell you no. So I think he's an interesting name. I don't think, again, Scott Drew is going to be the, the next coach, but that's where I think if you're Florida, you have to start thinking in those kind of lines. Um I mean, beyond that, guys, I, I don't think, you know, to me, Matt McMahon, I think is, I don't want to say he's too much like Mike White. I just think that that's, I don't, I think he bit, I think he fit better maybe with less pressure in his first big job, whether that's a South Carolina, um, you know, somewhere else. I don't or think, Missouri. yeah, Missouri. or Missouri. I, I think that's another one that, that certainly <laughs> would make sense. Again, uh, geographically, that, that would also make sense, I think, for him. So, I mean, those are a few of the names. I'm trying to think of like who else. I had this list today, and I'm trying to find it. I had a list of like eight names. There was like um, I've seen Todd Golden, Dennis Gates, Anthony yeah. Grant, Eric Conkle. Anthony Grant, that's the Eric, one. Eric yeah. Conkle is just funny because yeah, let's, that's not. Let's go get. The, that's not happening, guys. Um, Sean Miller. I mean, Sean Miller. Like, if you, I, I did this just for kicks. I went and looked at and cross-referenced the lists for these four openings, and these were the four most common names. Uh, Dennis Gates, Matt McMahon, Sean Miller, Jerome Tang. Like those were Yeah, the... Jerome Tang is going to be yeah, everywhere. So, yeah. those are the four the four or five names that you're going to see I think in a lot of searches everybody's list is the same there. I don't know how Florida fans would feel about Anthony Grant. I don't know how Anthony Grant would feel about coming back to the SEC at this point. Um Cuz it's like if he does that, think about that. If he's going back, is he he's going to be judged on the same level that Billy Donovan was judged. And it's not going to be fair, but Right. He knows he can't accomplish what he did. So I don't know why you would do that if you're Anthony Grant. I mean, you no. get it for the pay raise and stuff, but yeah. No, to me, Dennis Gates is, is where you go. Um, Again, guy who's worked, who has deep connections at Florida JUCOs, deep connections at every JUCO, you know, has connections into Atlanta, you know, ha- will know people throughout the state of Florida, you know, I think is going to understand what needs to happen there and is going to understand what that fan base wants from having been in the same space as them. And he's a guy too. I, I don't think you can discount the fact that you know Cleveland State. He took over in July, and and got a yes. roster that won eleven games, but was much more competitive down the stretch of his first year. Got into a tournament his second year. They stumbled a little bit this year, but essentially, what thirty months took them from three hundredth or so in Kimpom to you know fighting to get into the NCAA tournament. That's a, that's an insane turnaround, and he did it without having to really go deep into the portal. He went and found Juco guys. He kept guys in the program and used the extra COVID year. That can't be undersold from like a, a you know a roster building perspective, that flexibility and that creativity, because I think he's going to be able to recruit there, but I think he's going to be able to find the stuff at the margins that can really help Florida. And I think he's going to bring a style and a tenacity that it's going to work. So to me, he's the first call that they make and, and you get him in. South Carolina to me is is a weird one, you know. If frankly, they should probably just call Bob Ritchie at Furman and just see if that. That's what I was. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, is is just go there. But apparently, the athletics reporting they are, they may be the school that takes the plunge on Sean Miller. I'm dubious on any 
place that takes Sean, not because of the violations, but just because I think Sean's never... This is going to sound weird. He's never had to do a heavy rebuild. And he's never been in a place that's a bottom three job. Sean Miller's a great basketball I, coach. But I think LSU actually makes a lot of sense for him. Um, I feel like LSU could just be like, you know what? We're just going <laughs> to... We've, we've got to take our lumps well. Sean, why don't you just hop on and just... Like, you've got to take lumps. Let's just all take lumps, and then we'll get through it, and we've got a good basketball coach. Right, right. Um, LSU, man, their list was all over the place. It was like Gates, it was McCasland, Buzz Williams, obviously, because of Scott Woodward, Lamont Paris at Chattanooga. I, I, you know, I haven't like, seen. Why Why would any, like, that's that's the only thing that I, like, it's all over the place. coaches take that job? It's, like, it's... I just, I wouldn't, <laughs> like, if you're like Grant McCaslin and you're not getting, let's say you're not getting Missouri, you're not getting Kansas State, you're not getting any of these open jobs, why not just go win big another year at North Texas and wait wait a cycle and, and just avoid LSU? Right. Uh, like I realize, you know, the money that you make at the power conferences is way more than you do at a place like CUSA, but uh, I, I it just doesn't make sense that you would walk into a spot knowing that, like that program is about to get hit hard with sanctions. Right. And so I'm just saying every LSU list is just weird. It's just, it's, it's odd. You know, I think Scott, you know, Woodward can, you know, build in contractual protections and, you know, enough, they've got enough money floating around TAF there to make it worthwhile. I think it's just going to be interesting what that pool looks like. And, you know, Missouri's pool out of, out of everything here, I think, you know, Missouri probably has the most coherent looking pool. It's just a question of whether or not I think, and Sam, you know, I'll probably talk about this in a, later on. Is just w- w- what does the fan base think of the pool as it shakes out? Because I don't think Missouri's got the, at least my perception is they won't have the financial wherewithal to be able to go pull a really good sitting high major coach. Missouri's probably going to be reaching into the mid major ranks. I think there's some good options for them there, but it's just going to be interesting to see who might get prioritized by this administration as they go through. But Missouri, I think, probably has the most coherent set of options of, of anyone in the conference at this point. I'm just curious what, what the administration does with it. I tend to think the same in terms of just, like I said, I, Dennis Gates is everywhere, and I, he's just he's someone I think that, that should be a, a top call for all these guys. And I'm with you, and, and it goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago, and it, it is, like I said, you know, at best, I think Missouri's probably a top five, six, seven job in the SEC. It's just where it is now in comparison to the others. That That's a harder thing to read. Um, and I think that's where you're probably going to wind up with someone in that that mid-major camp. Uh, and again, we I don't know who that is, but uh, I think that's, that's the most likely scenario to me. But I always say, too, it's like, I never underestimate the SEC anymore in terms of when schools want to go out and and get someone they want. The resources, I mean, they're, it's different at different places. And we talked about that earlier, but there's still the potential there to do a lot with what you have. And um, so, you know, if you throw money, at, if you throw enough money at someone at a power conference level, you will get people that bite. But um, as we saw with, with other places like UCLA, it doesn't necessarily mean that people you think are going to bite uh, are going to wind up biting and you go down to your, your third, fourth, fifth choice or whatever. So um, I, I think Missouri's honestly, I'm not just saying this, I'm talking to you guys. I think Missouri's the most interesting one to me of this group, because to me, it will dictate a lot in terms of 
you know, again, I think Florida's the, at the top of this. We said, I mean, I think Mississippi State's at the bottom. South Carolina is down there too. Uh, but, I, but I think Missouri's that one that's it's in the middle with the chance to, with the right hire to really move up significantly. But it's just, you know, will, will that be the one? And I think it's going to be gonna be interesting to see. So, Hiring coaches is always a crapshoot. Yep. Um, you can do everything that you uh, – Everything you think you do it right, like you take all the right steps, you think you got the right guy, and for whatever reason, it doesn't work. I mean, this league in particular, I think the SEC is is just littered with a long list of you know hires right when they happen. You're like, oh, that's going to be a good hire, and it just doesn't work out. Um, you know, unless you're you're you know Jeff Goodman who predicted Tom Cream would be a disaster at Georgia years ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but you know, the rest of us don't quite have Goodman's foresight, I guess. Um, you know, I, I figured he would at least be adequate and he wasn't at all. Yeah. Um, Blake, is there anything else that we need to uh, touch on before we let you, you hop on out of here? I mean, look, like we said, it's, I can tell you this, I, Travis Ford's not going to be the next coach of Missouri. Um, just opened a can of worms there. I didn't mean to on the way out, <laughs> but uh, that is one that I'm just telling you right now. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So, yeah, that's, that's that's not going to happen. Um, I, I see. I saw some people mentioning that earlier, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, no, I mean it's going to. Like I said, it's it's so unpredictable now at this point. Uh, we mentioned all the names. I mean, I think these are the ones you're going to hear, not just in the SEC, but a lot of places. Whether that's Dennis Gates, Matt McMahon, Grant McCaslin, all those guys like that, uh, they're they're going to be mentioned for all these jobs immediately, just because they are the the top up and coming names that are out there uh, just in terms of you know, where their programs are now and where they were. So beyond that, as I mentioned, I think it's always about money. A lot of it's about money and, and resources and, and just opportunity. And there are probably some very disgruntled, unhappy power conference coaches out there that we don't even know about or think about uh, that would take some of these jobs. But um, as you mentioned, Sam, it's, it's always a, a gamble and Money talks. That's. I'll leave you with that. Uh, ACDC yeah. money talks, and uh, that could anyone <laughs> on the board could be available with the right price. So, well, Blake, we thank you for for stopping by. Then uh, make sure that uh, to all listeners, make sure you follow Blake on Twitter. He's at the Blake Level. Uh, he tweets nonsense frequently, uh, so you'll love it. Speaking uh, of that, Sam, <laughs> let, let me give you this nonsense. I don't know if you guys have beyond the nonsense that I I spewed out earlier. I put up my coin flip, my annual coin flip bracket in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I, I promise you guys with full integrity, with my dog watching, Alabama and Tennessee wound up in the national championship. <laughs> and Alabama was the national champion. And someone left the best comment I think you could possibly, because I was trying to wrap my head around this. And he goes, well, Alabama's a good choice to win the coin flip national championship since every game they play is a coin flip. That's a good point. I mean, really. That is true. That is perfect there's no better way this thing could have could have played out so there you go if you're into that the kind only of stuff, possible team who could possibly beat uh <laughs> gonzaga and also lose to missouri and georgia so there you go it makes it makes total sense there you go that's the kind of content you're <laughs> going to get from me on twitter so enjoy uh so yeah so you can also check out all this content on uh southeastern14.com follow that uh, account on twitter at 14 southeastern blake it's always fun having you on man uh enjoy your spring enjoy the tournament and we'll probably have you back on in the off season sounds great guys thanks as always all right thank you sir
And we're back. I want to thank Blake for stopping by. Um, I love Blake. Such a good guy. Uh, always willing to, you know, put up with our our silliness on this podcast. Uh, I think he, I think he gets us, Matt. I think he gets us. Or, or he's just very tolerant of us. One of the two. <laughs> one of the one other. Of the other. <laughs> Um, so we have not really talked uh, to you about, so I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of set up the rest of the podcast here. And we're, we're just going to talk to Matt Harris about his takes uh, on the Missouri job opening up, um, how you feel about it, and where you think Missouri should go and where you think they're going to go. Um, so let's just start with like, what was your like initial feeling and impression once the uh, the, the the news dropped that uh, that Kanza was out? Um, I think you spend a couple of minutes just when you're sad. You know, for everyone involved here, you know, obviously you want the on-court product to be better. You know, you're frustrated. You know, we certainly sounded frustrated you know, throughout the season, the product we were watching, um, you know, we were flipping, you know, behind the scenes expressing that frustration. But I think in the moment you feel bad um, for a coach, you know, he's going to make $6 million. People are going to say he's going to be just fine. But, you know, think about how you would feel in your professional life if the thing you were supposed to be good at ended this way. A sense of yourself would be disappointed. I don't think Zoe's crushed. I think anybody who listens to Zoe realizes that his perspective on this stuff goes beyond um, what your eyes might be. But he has probably the healthiest perspective on his job status within, like, of anyone in the in that business. Right. Like it, uh, it, it's almost zen. It is, and I think some people misconstrue that for apathy, which it, it really isn't. I think Zoe is his comp- he's a man who confronted death. <laughs> I think people who think that Zoe sounds like he doesn't care or apathetic, I think they don't understand what his perspective is or where it comes from. I think, you know, he's grounded in his faith. He's grounded in his life experiences. And I think that's, that's sort of my other point. I think you just like having that perspective there. I think you'd like having someone who puts all this stuff sort of in the right order and in the right priorities and, you know, I'm disappointed, you know, in the Encore product. I think there were egregious mistakes made. I have strong disagreements with how they built this last roster with the choices they made. You know, I think there were there were flaws. I think there are strong critiques you can make against Zoe it professionally. But as a person, I was proud that he represented the institution that I graduated from. I'm proud that he um, was someone who I think wanted to represent the best values of the institution and what higher education should stand for in a lot of ways. You know, I'm going to say here in a minute that it's all ancillary to winning basketball games and it is, but I think you shouldn't be so, you know, dismissive of those things. And that sounds romantic and dewy eyed, but I I really do think there's value in having someone like that. And I think you miss that when it's gone and it's especially, you know, obvious and in sharp relief, you know, when you see someone like Will Wade get, you know, just an institution running cover for him for multiple years when he was cheating before he ever officially kind of like got settled in in Baton Rouge and, you know, ruined other people's careers and, you know, had an opportunity to really cause harm to others by not having that accountability. And I think that it's good 
and we shouldn't be dismissive or, you know, think we're being savvy by saying that, you know, Zoe's, you know, naive or that his perspective isn't good. Um, I, I, so I'm glad that he represented the institution the way he did, but I, I just don't think there was a way back on the floor for this team. I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, and I said this for a couple weeks and I tried to couch it. I think you had to look at where this team was at the end of the year. You know, we'll talk about Anton here in a moment and the rest of the roster, but knowing what you and I know about where this roster was likely going to be going in the offseason, the only reason you would have brought Zoe back was you believed, frankly, in a miracle, that he was going to be able to turn this so dramatically in a year when every likely outcome, the median outcome here, was probably going to be Missouri's going to be around 100th next year. They're probably going to be 9th or 10th in the SEC. And you were going to be going through a coaching search. And did you want to use that time to give Zoe one last heave, or did you want to move on? The money's been there for a while. Um, it was set up in such a way that it's clean break. So I think it's healthy. I think it's good. So disappointed, but the outcome's not surprising. And uh, frankly, I think it's, it's one that... Um, makes sense given the circumstances so uh not anything crazy there but um that that's just sort of where i come off the top rope for it yeah and i think you sort of you brought up an interesting point one thing that i i don't really think um so will wade had not been fired yet i don't think when when bk and i did the podcast and one of the things that i don't really think i've i've talked about but you know uh, and far be it for me to to uh tell people to go read uh, you know, Pat Forty, because uh, he's he's not a guy that's in my regular rotation. I know that he's a little bit of a lightning rod of criticism for a lot of uh, a lot of fans and whatnot, and that's fine. Um, but I thought his point, his salient point, you know, regarding you know, like Will Wade's impact, and and when you have somebody like that, you know, who like Zoe never beat LSU. Um. And they were close uh, a lot of times to beating LSU. Obviously, that they weren't close this year. They were terrible this year. Uh, last year, they had a game that came down to a few possessions at the end of the game. They they lost. Um, you look at uh, you know the year that they had Porter, you know, Jordan Geis. Um, well, uh, I was going to say like the Jordan Geis home game where they were up huge yeah. uh, and and looked like they were going to uh, walk away with that game and. and LSU through you know sheer talent and raining threes at the end of the game uh, managed to come back from a big uh, big deficit. Um, you know if Will Wade's not cheating, he doesn't have most of the talent on the roster that that sort of helps him complete those comebacks. Because uh, I always felt like when you watched, you know Missouri, and I I don't want to say like I didn't, never thought Will Wade was a good coach or not. Like I I, ne- I didn't think he was a bad coach. I thought he was a adequate coach like he he went out and got the talent through illegal means um and and like the the last few years like he's basically just allowed that talent to go make plays uh i actually thought this year he did a pretty good job of sort of recognizing that he didn't have you know the elite playmakers that he's had in the past and and he sort of you know reset this team around sort of like a little bit more of like a grinding i like i love their mentality this year i'll just be frank i love the mentality they had it was great yeah yeah so like 
I think as a basketball coach, he's fine. But I always thought like in the early matchups and even even last year that, that Zoe won those matchups from a coaching standpoint. Um, you know, Wade just had better dudes. And, and in a lot of ways, like you could probably say that it very likely costs Martin his job. Uh, you know, obviously like this year is this year, but I mean, our, our fans feeling Conzo Martin a little more coming into this year. If, you know, they win that LSU game, uh, you know, last year, and maybe instead of a nine seed, maybe that gets them a seven seed. And then they're able to win that first round game instead of lose the first round game. Um, you know, and I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like all these little things at the margin, uh, you know, lead, led us to where we are, where, you know, Conza Martin basically wasn't doing enough to get Missouri over the hump and like that got him fired. But, you know, when, when you're going up against, uh, you know, a guy who had clearly committed recruiting violations, you know, it, it, it definitely sort of makes you wonder. Um, and I, I certainly don't think like the SEC is known for being a pretty dirty league in, in, in those manners. Uh, so I don't think it was just Will Wade that was sort of doing it this way, but I certainly think like that that likely has a, a some kind of impact on on you know Zoe and his his ability or inability to kind of get things done. Yeah, no, I, I think it, uh, you know Bruce Pearl's name showed up in the wiretap. So did South Carolina. You know, this is you know, that's basically a quarter of the league right there that has been implicated in some sort of way of, you know, flouting recruiting rules there, you know, as antiquated as some people think they are, everyone signs up to abide by them. Um, There's nothing noble, you know, LSU fans trying to frame Will Wade as this guy sticking it to the man always made me laugh. It was just sort of a revisionist (laughs) history to it. It wasn't like Will was out here saying, I'm giving these guys strong-ass offers. He wasn't Jerry Tarkanian. He wasn't taking on the system. He was cheating. He was cheating yeah um and if you want to justify it post hoc that's fine but he was cheating um to me just otherwise i think this has been coming for a while uh, i think missouri handled it in the best way possible the way i would have handled it which is they paid six million dollars there was a clean break and did it on friday um did the best way they could you know it was sort of the way we had thought it was going to go a month ago was that they were just going to do a clean handoff here. Um, so did what I would do, which is come watch a big 10 tournament, chill, hang out downtown. Um, (laughs) hopefully got, hopefully maybe, maybe, maybe made it to nine Irish brothers, which is a Purdue bar downtown here and just kicked it and saw alums caught up with people. Um, thought it was handled pretty well. Not surprised. Um, I'm sure, I don't want to do an autopsy on what went wrong here. You know, I think we've talked about that enough in the last couple of months, but um, this is, it was sort of the, the way it all transpired was the way that I think a lot of us saw it going um, and it heard that it was going to go. So um, now you flip the script and, and, and turn the page, all the cliches here is they, they've got to fill a job now and uh, it's going to be a crowded market from the SEC's perspective. And we're going to, and, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of where Missouri shakes out in that. So I wrote my, um, my, my, I guess, call for who I wanted to get the job. Um, looking like that's not very likely. 
Uh, on Saturday, I published a piece, you know, basically ISO, a new basketball coach. Um, Miku Medved has been my guy for a while. Like I just, I like the way he's built programs. He's done it, uh, you know, in a very specific and deliberate way. Like he knows what he's looking for. He, he knows sort of what he needs to do. He, he puts the pieces together and he executes the plan and it's worked at multiple stops. Um, and he's an offensive guy, which, which I, you know, I, I think I've said to you and, and Matt behind the scenes multiple times, like, I'm just tired of watching bad offense. Like, I, I, I want to watch somebody make shots. I'm, I would much rather, uh, you know, be frustrated watching my team win 97 to 94 than, uh, you know, than <laughs> like watch what was, what was Grant McCaslin's uh, score, like 42 36 yeah. or 38 or so, it was something ridiculous like yeah. that it, it's it's um, murder ball to the extreme uh-huh. yeah and it's just like i like i just don't i don't want to watch and i realize you're going to have off nights and and all that kind of stuff like that's that's going to happen but i just i want somebody who can coach a little bit of offense um so I, yeah i made my case for nico uh he has since re-upped with colorado state not necessarily. That's never anything that that completely closes the door when you're talking about a power conference job and the amount of money. But when a coach re-ups this late, it is usually a sign that they're committed to go back the next year at least and and sort of do it again. And he's got a lot of guys coming back, so it kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and, and I wrote that you know a couple of times in different places. You know, over the weekend, you know, this is a question that you're going to get: is you know what's the you know it's a Goldilocks problem. What's the right amount of jobs, and what what's the right mix of jobs? And if you're Nico, you know they they love Fort Collins. You know, in putting together kind of the background on him, that guy's not bullshitting when he says they they love Fort Collins. They feel at home there. Um, you know, it's where he spent the longest part of his time as an assistant. You know, his you know, his wife and him came back, got married there. They've had you know they brought their kid back there. They've that's where they want to be and. And I think if you're going to extract a guy from that situation, it's got to be for a situation that's probably a little bit better than Missouri. Um, and, you know, he's talked about, you know, the fact that he saw Tim Miles, you know, go to a job like Nebraska, which Nebraska is a solid average power five job and not, and it didn't break through. And, you know, he left behind something special. And Tim, you know, said that he felt like he left behind something special in Fort Collins. So not surprised that he's going to, and he's got, you know, his core for another year. So run it back, be with those guys, see what the market looks like next spring, you know, and maybe you have a chance to make a, a bigger step than what's on the market right now. And maybe something closer to out West. I think that's sort of where he fits is more sort of in that region of the country. Um, the rest of the pool though, um, still looks pretty intact. I know we had Steve Forbes originally, but it seems like Forbes is going to re-up it. Wake Forest as well, or the reports that that's going to happen. So, realistically, at this point, it only looks like that Nico Medved and uh, Steve Forbes are out of the pool. Everybody else is still sort of on the table. Um, I don't know where you want to go or who you want to discuss, but <laughs> we got names that we can throw out and, and that we can talk about uh, who we like. Well, so you know, I I I'd also like to say that you know, I kind of shot down the idea of Sean Miller. I'm just not a, a fan of going after somebody who you don't know what his his you know, NCAA penalty is going to be. Um, I think, you know, as I sort of mentioned with, with Blake, like I think it makes sense for a school like LSU. It's like, we're going to have to take penalties anyway, so let's just all do it together. You know, but Missouri isn't in that position. Um, and so if, 
if you were running this search, uh, that's a that's a bad idea. But we're basically trying to do it now well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're I, with the like the group of guys that we sort of put together. Like, what would be your move? Um, I think the first thing I would do is I would want to try and and really vet a guy. Like, we're gonna have these. They're in the pods out. We're doing this on a Monday. It'll be out tomorrow, so you're gonna see everybody. Will hopefully see. Uh, our high major guys. To me, it, my calls would be to Kevin Willard, Kyle Smith, um, Ray McCaffrey. I feel like those guys in different ways are, are really getting a ton of value out of where they are. You know, Washington's probably the cheapest power five in the country. Pullman is beautiful. I love the Palouse. Been there a couple times. But it's remote, and you're just down the road from Spokane, and there's a really good basketball program in Spokane. And just a lot of structural disadvantages there. Um, Washington State had some bad close game luck this year, but they finished 55th in Kimpom. It's been a place, too, where if a guy is doing well there, you know, Dick Bennett, Kelvin Sampson, Tony Bennett, if guys are getting Washington State kind of into the top 70 of Kimpom, they're probably coaching their ass off. So I feel like Kyle Smith's a guy who's not going to get a lot of traction. A lot of people are going to say, why would you do that? There's a pretty good history of guys who've won at Washington state translating at their next stop. So a lot of things where he's overperformed kind of what his, what his resources are and sort of what the infrastructure is. Um, Kevin Willard. I love just cause I feel like again, a guy who's until recently was kind of underpaid, you know, Seton halls, not a rich program. They work in a crowded Northeast market. He's consistently got that program in the top 50, but it seems like Maryland is going to prioritize him. So that may be a fault one there. And then people may laugh when I say Fran McCaffrey, but that program spends less than Missouri. It recruits worse than Missouri. And look at the death machine offenses that guy puts together. Like look at like Keegan Murray, Luke Garza. You know, Taylor Cook was a you know top 75 kid, turned that guy into an almost a all Big Ten, Big Ten player of the year kind of candidate. The guy can coach his ass off. Is he a man? maniacal psycho at sometimes on the sideline yes <laughs> yeah. will you hate him if you if you're playing against him absolutely are you terrified his sons will confront you in the parking lot after a basketball game potentially but the guy can coach offense and he builds really good teams on the cheap and with developmental prospects um you know if i were gonna say hey what if we you know gave you a pay raise and we gave you some money to go get some guys to upgrade your talent level. Do that. Do do what you're doing in Iowa City here. So those would be my guys. Um, there have been reports that they're talking to Dana Altman. So I, I would. I'm skeptical for off court reasons there. Um, that we I don't know if we want to go into them or not. But Dana can coach. So I'd start there. Make those guys say no. See what the numbers are, and then I'd pivot to the usual names that we're seeing all over the place: Matt McMahon, Grant McCaslin. Todd Golden. Um, I like Dennis Gates more than readers do, but that would be sort of where I would pivot after that. But those are kind of the four high major guys I would look at. And then I'd probably pivot to one of those four uh, mid-major guys um, for different reasons. Yeah, I think of all the sort of the guys that we've looked at, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm always more interested in looking at a guy that you don't know what a ceiling is versus a guy who you've already kind of seen his ceiling. So, you know, I, I think I would almost include, cause you know, Washington state 
uh, you know, and no offense to, uh, to fans of the Cougs out there, but, um, that's basically a mid-major program, you know, just, just fighting an uphill battle in a power conference. Um, so I, you know, I would include him in a, in a list of guys that, you know, like, you know, Medved or, or Jeff Linder or, you know, Dennis Gates, uh, you know, guys that, that had sort of shown a proclivity towards, uh, you know, really kind of winning at a high level at their level and, and seeing what they can do at the next level. Like, I, 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 I think your odds of hitting on a hire like that are probably higher than, than going with somebody who's sort of been working at the power five level. And, and you're like, Oh, maybe if we give him the right resources, like, you know, it's like Frank Haith uh, coming from Miami all over again. Um, or, you know, and, and obviously like, I think everyone knows my opinion on Conzo Martin, but it's, it's a lot like Conzo Martin, like Conzo Martin had, had been pretty good, but nothing more than that. Um, and so anytime you're sort of making a gamble that a guy who has had high major resources uh, and you know not achieved high level success, then why not see like what the guys who haven't had those same level of resources are, are going to look like when they do? And I, I just think like it's a lot more interesting of a gamble to me to sort of figure that out. Yeah, I, I you know I think the one thing we've tried to do is look at play styles for these guys because I think. The one thing I would say that my criticism of Conzo is I can never tell you what Missouri basketball was under Conzo. Like, I think we, you and I, when we started the podcast five years ago when he was hired, you know, we we had, I think, a better idea what Conzo Martin basketball was back then than we do now. And there was never that sort of sense of, like, the defense is something you can count in night in and night out. They're going to board their ass off, and they found their offensive identity. I don't know what Missouri basketball was. It you know it felt like it was constantly, sort of just pivoting and evolving. And I don't think I ever heard Zoe kind of co- cogently say what his program was. And I think the thing is though, like you put on a Matt McMahon basketball game at Murray State. It's a ball screen based motion. You you can tell what their base sets are. You can tell how they want to play. You can tell what they want to do defensively. You can tell you know you can go watch. Games of a couple of years ago, even games back five, six years ago, and you can kind of tell what they want in their guards and, and how they want to develop those guys and how they want to play and how they want to use them. That, that to me, is important. I, there's something that's replicable. There's a system. There's a template for player development in place that's there. I think that's important. You know, I look at you – know, and I think that's why I'm a little bit more hesitant on guys like Todd Golden just because I think that guy's smart. I think, you know, if you listen to him talk, that guy finds so many, you know, little things at the margins to, to win basketball games. But we talked about Kyle Smith at Washington State. Kyle Smith put in the legwork there to put that program together. And that's not to discount what Todd's done. And, you know, with Jamari Bouye and Khalil Shabazz, he scouted those guys. But not just quite the depth that you've seen from Matt McMahon. Um, Jeff Linder is a guy who I think runs beautiful offense. You know, is a guy who can be malleable on that end, his you know, mind guys like Damian Lillard, you know, Chandler Hutchinson, you know, he's got two guys, I think the potential like second round guys and Graham Ike and Hunter Maldonado, but the def- but again, like you want us, it's been four or five years. Have you seen that to the level that you want? And I, I look at a Matt McMahon and think, 
Murray State guys don't stay there for seven years. Murray State guys, you know, how many power, how many mid-major programs get better after they lose a Ja Morant, like a, a generational talent? You know, I, and I look at what Matt McMahon's done, and I think, is he perfect? Is it going to be plug-and-play? No, but I see a system that is consistent. I see player plate. I see player types that are, you know, fit to a template. And the results continue to get better the longer he's, he's there. So to me, like McMahon's probably the, the spot where I wind up. Just as far as I think, you know, play style, experience, all that stuff. Um, and it's still a gamble there. But, uh, you know, he's the guy that I sort of land on out of all of them uh, at this point. Um, I, I wish I could have seen more of Dennis Gates' teams this year just because I think he's got a really interesting background and everything you read about that guy makes you think he gets it. I just haven't seen as much of the actual basketball his teams have played. Um, so that's, but everything I've read and sort of looked at on Dennis Gates makes me think he's a really, really interesting guy too, that I would want to keep in the mix a little bit. And I would also sort of point out that, you know, the horizon league is really, really sort of fallen off. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it used to be a really pretty solid mid major league. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's down at like 26. Yeah, Valpo's left, Butler's left, Loyola Chicago is left. Uh, it's 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 hollowed out a bit. Well, and so to on your point about sort of, you know, Mac McMahon, um, you know, like like the Ohio, Ohio Valley isn't a great conference, you know, but you're routinely going against some other really good teams. Um, now, at the bottom of the conference is pretty, pretty bad. Uh, you know, but Belmont's in that conference. Morehead State's been really good. Uh, you know, like even Tennessee State has had some uh, some good spots here and there. Austin P has been decent here and there. Uh, it's just like the bottom of that league is is, is sort of like a, a pit, uh, and I think it kind of drags the rest of the league down. But I mean, you're facing you know Belmont two uh, three times a year on a regular basis. Yeah, and and you know Belmont is always going to be a top 100 level team. Uh, Casey Alexander's uh, a guy you know, that, that we profile i think if that wasn't his alma mater and he was not basically rick bird's hand-picked successor i i would <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the stuff that his if you the stuff he runs like if i get the feeling like missouri fans want something from like the like mid 80s up through the late 90s you'll love the motion that his stuff his teams run it's great stuff it's 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 almost a throwback you know kind of system that i think a lot of people would recognize but it, it's beautiful to watch but I don't think that guy's leaving Belmont and both. The, and the, the one thing that's going to be interesting is do, does a guy like Matt McMahon want to stay? Because that is a team that's moving up to the Missouri Valley. So he may not have to, you know, worry about being in a one big bid league for much longer. If he likes Murray, maybe he wants to stay there, but th those are the guys that really jump out at me. Um, we did the, uh, Know, kind of the retread bracket today. I'm less hesitant on Sean Miller in the sense of, and I and this is probably the wrong way to think about it. And people may yell at me for it. I look at him almost kind of like a modern day or a, a newer version of Kelvin Sampson. Like the things he did wrong are obviously violations. They're clearly you know violating the bylaws that the NCAA had in place at the time. Now. An NIL deal could pay DeAndre Ayton 10 grand a month. Like, there's a way for kind of the impermissible benefits to be permissible now. I, you know, if you look by the letter of the law, 
here. His violations are comparable to Bruce Pearl, who got two games. He's got more of them than Bruce, but like if you were to <laughs> like here's the thing. If you Well, he he had some some transcript issues also, like you know, falsifying transcripts, I believe. Yeah. Or... Here's the thing. If it's a ten game suspension, but you're gonna be fine after that, I'd live with it. I understand why Missouri's not gonna do it given you know, the issues they had under Quinn, under Frank, with the tutor and getting smacked a couple of years ago. But like for me in a vacuum, I don't I have less hesitation about Sean Miller, um, you know, than than a lot of other spot than a lot of other folks do. But I, I recognize that's not gonna happen. So to me, I I think you I would call sum it up, I'd probably call Willard, Kyle Smith, Altman, and Fran first. And then, you know, work to my mid-major guys, McMahon, um, probably, you know, then move to Golden, then McCasland and Gates. Those would probably be the guys that I would work through a little bit. Um, people will probably be surprised that I wouldn't say Kim. Uh, I just think, what are your thoughts? I'm sure you, you and Brandon talked about it, but um, my thoughts on Kim are, I think he's going to be good. 29 games, just really, really small. Um, and... You know, I sort of view him and Jerome Tang in the same pool. Like, there's a lot to like there, but, you know, the body of work, I think, with some other guys, I'm always, maybe I'm not that, maybe I'm not that sort of risk tolerant in that way. You know, I'm always going to sort of look at those with the bigger body of work, and maybe that's the fault of mine, but I, I, maybe I just think Kim needs a little more time. So that, that's probably the best Well, not to, uh, to, drop a big giant teaser but uh, i'm gonna write about kim and have uh, a post tomorrow on how i feel about kim english uh you know bk and i did touch on it i i i honestly would i would be fine if that's where they went um mainly because like i think kim would at the very worst like significantly upgrade the yeah, talent. He like he's that. proven he can recruit and i think he can sell like a vision for mizzou not only to the donors but also to the uh, to potential players, and I think he would he would upgrade the talent. Um, and talent can win you a lot of games that maybe you wouldn't otherwise win. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to flesh out that uh, that thought a little bit more in a post um, because we're we're here for all of the the coaching content. Um, we're kind of running up against it, uh, so I want to um, at least talk about Anton Brookshire. Um, entered the transfer portal today, Monday, March 14th. Um, any takes on that sort of happening? Not surprised. I don't think you or I were surprised that it was happening. Um, I think his name was going in regardless. Um, I don't think Zoe staying here would have made it unlikely that he would have returned. Um, I think that there was, um, too much, uh, trust that it sort of eroded there. Um, you know, whatever people think about Brookshire as a prospect, I'm not, I can't go to the mat just cause we didn't see enough flashes this year, but I think there's enough there that I would want to see what a new coach could get out of him, especially a guy like Matt McMahon, who, um, I think would run a system that he's, he's good at the guard coaching, good at the guard coaching, especially undersized guards. <laughs> especially spread mm-hmm. PNR cards, which is what Anton wants to run. Um, but not surprised there. I, I think, you know, if there's a coaching search, you're doing yourself a disservice, not going in the portal. 
I think the question is how long are you going to listen? So um, not shocked that Anton went in. It'll be really interesting to see sort of what his reaction to a new coaching hire is. If it's Grant McCasland, um, I don't, I would feel less confident than if it were like a Matt McMahon or like a Jeff Linder or somebody who's kind of more offensively inclined. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, my general take is, yeah, I don't think Anton's going to be the, the last guy to enter no, also. I don't think so. Um, you know, and this is this is basically what happens when you change your coach. Like whoever the new coach is going to be is going to dictate the new roster. Uh, whoever that new coach is when they're hired, there's probably going to be a couple more guys enter the portal after that because that coach is not going to want those guys in the roster. Um, there's probably a lot of guys that are just sitting around trying to figure out who the next coach is going to be. If they like the coach or not, then they'll decide if they want to enter the portal. Like there's there's a mix of all these things kind of happening, and I like. Like if if I were on the Missouri roster right now, I'd just put my name in the portal. You know, just like to, let's at least let me let me be able to take calls. Yeah, let me let me talk to some other programs and kind of at least see what, uh, you know, what the situation is like. You know, who maybe wants to, you know, bring me in and and explore those options. Um, and, you know, and and not to say that like. You know, Anton could very well like pull himself out of the portal, like after he's talked to the new Mizzou coach and he decides he wants to be at Missouri, likes Missouri, likes the new coach. The new coach wants to keep him around. So uh let's let's make this work. And I think that that there's a possibility for that with everybody on the roster. Yes, even Jordan Wilmore, although it's probably unlikely. Um but you know, like I think that's just one of those things where y- you you have to see what's out there. You ha- and you know, like this the new the portal has changed a lot and so the new missouri coach is probably going to have to replace at least half the roster the transfer portal um yeah i I think there's the thing about it is because conzo was fired you know the guys who like are veteran transfers who came in last year they could they will like they would likely qualify for a waiver so jerron amari dejuan you know all those guys ronnie gray would could essentially get a free pass to go anywhere. And frankly, I think, you know, if they're smart, they will put their names in. I think, you know, if uh, you got to re-recruit your guys every day now, especially if you're a new coach, um, you know, fans are you know asking what's Aiden Shaw going to do. You know, we got to do whatever we can to keep, you know, Trevor. And like, this is the deal. You wanted a new coach. These guys now get the freedom to decide if they want to play for that coach. That's how it works. And frankly, you know, this is a decision that goes beyond next year. Missouri will probably be bad next year, barring an amazing hire that can, you know, just kill it in the portal and in the spring. Odds are this team's not going to be good next year. Like, this is a three, four, five-year decision they're making now. Um, So, potentially, depending on what, you know, the, the you need to be ready for that. Who knows, maybe the Coach comes in, everybody loves him. He makes a couple good pickups in the portal in Missouri's in an IT team. There's a lot of options, that a lot of ways it could go, but I think people need to obviously prepare themselves for the idea that Missouri could be bad. And, you know, you wanted the old coach gone, the new coach is here, this is just what comes with it. So it's it's just a fact of life. And uh, if there are nine guys in the portal, so be it. That's, that's just the cost of doing business. So uh, I think our plan is we're going to try to get another podcast in before the end of the week. Um, 
basically as the news cycle continues to churn, um, you know, like on Friday is basically reaction. Now we've had some time to sort of flesh out what the options look like. I think a few more days, we'll probably have a little bit more of a clear idea of where Missouri might be going. Um, and probably I'm guessing by either the end of the weekend or early next week, we should know who the coach is going to be. Um, so I'm thinking, yeah, uh, you and I'll probably try to get together for another podcast before the weekend. Um, and then we'll hopefully we'll, we'll have some news, uh, soon thereafter. Um, in the meantime, uh, definitely check out the, the coaching bracket. Uh, there's also the NCAA uh, March Madness bracket that you can join and, and put your uh, NCAA tournament bracket up against everyone on the masthead, um, asking everybody to join. I've already got mine up. I picked the Zags, Matt. Uh, number one overall seed. Bold. Bold decision. Um Although I will say, like, I really like that Arizona team. Um, so much fun. But I just, I like, I really like, I, I'm ready for Mark Few to get one. Um, ready for people to understand that what he has built at Gonzaga is a death machine. And um, I, I, I kind of like the idea of him finally getting that national championship. Uh, so we'll talk to you soon. Make sure that you are subscribed. Uh, there will be more podcasting, there will be more coaching brackets, there will be more columns, there will be more coaching discussion, and then once all that's done, there will be all the recruiting talk uh, in the world as we try to figure out who is going to be on the roster and what this team is going to look like next season. Uh, so until next time, thank you for tuning in, uh, and we will talk to you soon.